The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We're coming to you live from Salem, New Hampshire, and today we are going to talk about don't, not buying into the backstory. The top, the episode is labeled Don't Buy Into the Backstory, and I almost wanted to label it Don't Buy Into the Backstory Bloke because of our oh. reason. <laughs> Chrissy's dad is visiting from Australia, and I've heard bloke more in the past week than I think I even knew possible Do in my life. Do they even say bloke in Australia? Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, the Australians say it. It's all I know. Um, okay, so first we're going to start with quirky tip of the day. Hang on. All right, our quirky tip today is if you do not include fish oil into your dog's diet, please consider doing so, whether you feed kibble or raw or anything else. Um, super important. I just saw my Eastern vet with my youngest dog the other day, and she wasn't on a fish oil, and he's like, what the heck are you doing? Why not? I was just giving it to the older dogs. So my favorite is Nordic Naturals. You can get it on Amazon. And you just went on fish I'm oil, on too. I'm on fish oil myself. Yeah, Trying Scott's on these, this uh, big, like, a little bit lubed up. lifestyle, fitness, supplement Just started kick. eating red meat again. We can discuss yeah. <laughs> that at length if you'd like. No, we're good. We no, went to that. a nice uh, grass-fed farm yeah. locally where they we get to see the, the cows roaming around. They had a couple of great... Oh, herding the guard dogs. dogs. Yeah, the guard dogs. So they had a bunch of sheep out in the field, and they had two dogs watching these sheep, and it was pretty impressive. Yeah, Scott you don't was very see, excited. You don't see dogs actually working, ex- doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing It very was often. his first experience with guard dogs, which yeah. I found funny. In the Midwest, there's more farms out there. But well, getting back to the fish oil more. love bug, now we're on his, his meat kick. Uh, Nordic Naturals is the brand I like. It's the brand Scott's taking. And even on their website, it says, um, formulated for dogs and cats to promote healthy skin, coats, joints, heart and the development and maintenance of the brain and eyes. So you can't go wrong. If you don't have fish oil in your dog's diet, add it in. All right, let's talk about how we got here with the backstory one today. I like this topic. Well, this is something I run into every, almost every time I meet a new person with their dog. If it's a rescue, they start telling me, even on the phone, right from the first phone call, if I don't guide that call, if I'm just going to listen and say, hey, how you doing? What's going on with your dog? They'll start in with the backstory. And this could be 20 minutes of the dog was, you know, crushed by the mother, and then they didn't feed the dog, the the mother wouldn't feed the dog, they had to bottle feed the dog, and then it had a broken leg, and then it went to six different homes. And it just, it's a very elaborate story, and they're not really telling me what's going on with your dog, why'd you call me today? And um, so that's why I thought, because there's a million different backstories, and some of them are legitimate. It really did happen. Uh, but most of them are kind of um, projected onto the dog. Yeah. We're filling in the blanks a lot. And really, more importantly than anything else, like whatever the backstory was, sometimes it can be traumatic, especially if there's like a physical deformity. We'll talk about that a little bit more so it's harder to avoid the backstory. But we have to focus on the present and like where we want to go. And more specifically, I thought the Cream Golden story was pretty interesting. It was a rehome. You just saw yeah, these people. Yeah, I just saw they, um, they got a two-year-old uh, golden retriever, nice dog. Uh, but on the phone call, they said the dog had, you know, was very rambunctious. And the, the previous owner said they just didn't have time to work with the dog and they hadn't pursued any training but then she got all the vet um, paperwork that they had you know got from their vet passed it on to the new owner 
and there was a big write-up on there saying the dog had extreme anxiety. The vet recommended trazodone that should be full-time on trazodone, and it wasn't. And so they were all stressed out about this dog they have now that they're reading is an extremely anxious dog that should be on medication, and they wanted a trainer to come up and evaluate the dog and see what's going on, you know? And Scott thought the dog was pretty normal, and the dog was, they're going to work dog together. The dog has some mild anxiety, yeah. but nothing, nothing that, that we're accustomed to. Not we an see outlier. a, lot, a yeah. lot more difficult cases. So we get caught up into this, right? And it seems like, and sometimes it happens with parents, too. Like, you come from a divorced family, you know, the mom's like, oh, well, you know, I she was raised by, you know, a single parent, or the grandparents are saying this, and it's just becoming... The storyline, the victimization, everything else that we're projecting onto a kid or a dog or something else. And it really is not helping the dog in the long run. It's hindering its progress. You're holding on to either this traumatic event of when it got attacked or this, you know, horrible thing that happened when it was young or it getting passed from home to home to home. And to be frank, you guys, when you're getting rescues, when they've had five homes, you don't really know the full backstory, right? Like people, owners are not disclosing things. Sometimes if a stray shows up and gets into the shelter, we don't know the backstory and we just deal with the dog in front of us. Even if there's been previous aggression or something else, especially human aggression, dog aggression, it's good to know that that's there, but that doesn't mean that's who the dog is in this new setting with its new surroundings and in its new way of life. So it's very, very important to look at and to deal with the dog in front of you. And again, focus on where you want to go, not where the dog has been. Yeah, and what type of issues uh, would you like to straighten out that the dog is causing right there in front of you, like you said? Yeah, no, exactly. So I want to talk about this physical stuff a little bit more because I do know that it's harder to avoid the backstory when the dog has some sort of physical deformity. So if the dog has like three legs, for instance, I have had, you know, friends with dogs in car accidents, they end up, you know, losing a leg to that incident or they've had other issues. A dog has one eye. Um, dogs with wheels, obviously like all of this, if there's some sort of, you know, traumatic event that's happened or congenital thing that's happened with the dog that's made it have a physical deformity, it's harder to avoid the backstory. And I totally get that, right? Like everyone you meet on the street is like, what happened to its eye? Like what happened to its leg? Why does it have wheels? Why is it paralyzed in the rear? All of this stuff. So when you have, and it's the same thing with people, honestly, you have a severe burn victim. Dr. Phil did this special last week about um, dog bites. And I mean, some of the transformations of these people and their faces, I just couldn't even believe it. It made me concerned to even work in the industry. Like you don't really realize how much damage can be done sometimes if you're not like in the thick of it. When you have some sort of a physical deformity also as a human, it's harder to ignore. Like, I mean, ideally people aren't on the street asking you what's going on, but it comes up more frequently when there's something physical. So the physical stuff is a harder hurdle to kind of overcome. But when you have that, you don't have to, you know, just sit there and spend hours on it. Like, yep, the dog lost its leg from a car accident. It's moving well now. We're doing okay now. And we move on to who the dog was and who the dog is now and who who we want the dog to be. So the physical stuff, I do understand that it's harder to overcome and it's going to come up more frequently. But just reiterating that story, saying the same story three times in the same conversation, telling it to every single person you meet and spending a lot of time on it is really keeping you back in that trauma and everything else of the past. And you were even talking about puppies that are sick while we're still talking about, you know, illness and physical deformities and stuff. It seems like dogs who have had a big issue the first year of their lives just kind of start on a different course than regular dogs. Yeah, I think it's it's worse. Like the three-legged dog to me is almost a non-issue because the dogs could care less. Every yeah. I've met so many three-legged dogs that run their asses off. They have no problem with that. They've adapted so quickly to to moving and all that with three legs. So maybe the people have an issue with that, but the dogs certainly don't. What I have found can be really uh, a setback for a dog is if they break their leg when they're 
two months old, two, three months. And even if they need, you know, it's worse, they need surgery and all that stuff. So those developmental months between, you know, two months and eight months, the dog spends the majority of time either being picked up, coddled, very controlled situations, doesn't get the environmental exposure that we would love to make sure all our dogs get. So now the dog really legitimately has a setback emotionally in its development because it's because of this physical it's raised differently. illness. Or if it maybe if it was a parvo puppy or something yes, like that. You a know, they severe get illness, real, yeah. Yeah. So it really held them back from developing the way they need to develop. And and in those cases I've seen, you know, more aggression and, and more fear and and a lot of stuff. And it doesn't matter how they got there, but at least there's a legitimate reason. Now I can see, okay, that's why this dog is like that. And uh, we still need to address it and move forward. But that's, to me, a much more legitimate reason for behavioral issues with the dog in front of me. Yeah. Most of the time, people have a story. It has nothing to do with why the dog's behaving the way they are in front of us. You know, the dog is just being a dog. He's just untrained. He's an opportunist. He's stealing food. He's whatever. He's manipulating his environment to his advantage, he thinks. I mean, that's the typical <laughs> trying dog. To, yeah. yeah. Doesn't matter what happened in their past, you know. Well, and that's the thing. I think so often when we were talking about this, one, we don't have a lot of backstories as far as our dogs go. Like, I guess Sarge would be the biggest backstory. He was attacked, um, and that was traumatic and everything else. But then I worked through that, and he worked through that, and that wasn't like, oh, I had a dog, and you know, he was attacked by multiple dogs, and this was a terrible thing. It seems like the backstory comes up when you're still having the problem behaviors frequently on the street, right? Like the dogs going batshit crazy at the vet or on a hiking trail, and you're saying oh, well, you know, he was attacked as a young puppy. Like you're using the backstory a little bit as an excuse. And that's totally fine. And that's how you present yourself and everything else. But then we need to come up with tools and ways to overcome that and head towards the future. Because getting stuck in this like constant cycle of the backstory is something that we see very, very frequently. And like Scott's saying, almost every person he talks to has some sort of a backstory. And frequently they're telling him the same story on the phone that they're telling him in the evaluation. And maybe even it's coming up in the first class then if they're working together. Like it's three times the same story is happening. Yeah, and it's and, almost verbatim. Yeah. And Scott's so like, well, you told it, me this. It's okay. Like, let's, let's They're just move hanging forward. on to this. Yeah. And, you know, if you were involved in a traumatic backstory, then it's, to me, it's a pretty safe bet that you were more traumatized than the dog. That's typically, and your projecting of that onto what's going on presently and in the future is a bigger obstacle than the dog themselves. Yeah, no, You know, because I have a client that has a, a new young puppy. Uh, we started doing some puppy classes. Dog's like four or five months now. And she was, hired me because her previous dog had been attacked and then was reactive its whole life. She couldn't walk the dog in public. It was just go crazy. And she didn't want that to happen with this dog. And I said, okay, well, let's, you know, just do some, some training. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I got to get this dog around a lot of dogs so that he's not afraid of dogs. And I said, well, how did the last dog get attacked? Well, I was out in public around dogs and some dog attacked it. Okay. Well, I don't think we should reproduce that with this yeah. dog. And I said, you know, I took I brought dogs to her house just to make her feel better. I take my dog out, let the let the puppy and my dog say hi to each other, a little play bowing. You know, I said your dog has no problem with dogs. Yeah, no reason to push it. But she still is hanging on to the old story. Yeah, yeah. But I gotta go. Like I want to go to a dog park so that we the dog. You're gonna make a problem again where you don't have a problem. There's no problem with your present puppy. You're going to make a problem trying to fix a problem that doesn't exist. Yeah, no, it's you know? totally true. And we see it time and time again. And like Scott's saying here, it's not even the same dog's backstory. It's a previous dog's backstory. All right, let's go to break super quick. And when we get back, we're going to talk about this a bit more. 
Want to keep up with all the latest from the Quirky Dog Podcast like me and Murphy here? Then make sure you head on over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Or if you prefer to listen to the madness, go on over to iTunes or Spotify and follow the Quirky Dog Podcast. And hey, while you're there, leave a rating and review and let them know what you think of the show. Until then, keep it quirky. All right, so let's hit behavior a little bit harder because we've been talking about physical deformities or illnesses or backstories that aren't even tied to the specific dog. So, yes, there are instances where, you know, the dog can have a fearful experience, a bad experience at the vet, with a vehicle, with a stranger, with another dog, with another species of animal, whatever else, and that can dictate maybe the way the dog responds to those things moving forward. However, the quicker that you're actually able to address that and deal with that and overcome that psychologically for yourself and to give the dog confidence, right? Like after Sarge was attacked, it was all on me to just get him just neutral again out in public. Like if I was avoiding that situation, it was just going to make things harder for him and for me. And the quicker Scott helped me with that a lot, just the quicker that I just jump back out in the real world, like the easier it was for us to kind of assimilate again. So if you do have something behavioral, whether you know about it or not, right? A lot of times with these rescues, we have behavioral issues and we don't know what happened. We assume that the dog was maybe beaten with a man with wearing a hat or, you know, is afraid of brooms or we make up X, Y, Z, whether the rescue workers are saying this or the volunteers or previous owners have some story or the new owners are coming up with a story. Giving the dog a story to why he behaves a certain way doesn't necessarily help aid that behavior in any way, shape or form. Scott is always like, you know, at the end of the day, we love the dog. We care about the dog, but regardless of how the dog's feeling, we can't actually know how the dog's feeling. We just need to get the dog working. We need to get the dog to a point where it can overcome this and work through this issue and just be functional. So it's really, really, really important with behavior to not be filling in the blanks where you don't know about the blanks, to not be dwelling on the terrible stories. There are a lot of terrible stories out there. We get it. A lot of hoarding situations, legitimate abuse. Like there are very traumatic things that go on with the dog, but dogs are way more resilient than people in a lot of ways, right? Like they are good at living in the moment. They're good at moving on from things. They're not just rehearsing this playback. A lot of times like humans allow themselves to So let's allow the dog to feel like a warrior and grow and become the new version of itself rather than be sitting in this victimized, like, you know, traumatic state that we keep allowing it to live in. Yeah. One of the stories I hear quite often is, you know, the dog is giving them a lot of behavioral problems in the house. They've had the dog only for a few weeks. And I'll say, do you use a crate? And I'll say, oh no, this dog was just lived in a crate 24 seven. It never got out of the crate and we're not going to do that to him. Well, if the dog really did spend the majority of its time in a crate, it's probably very comfortable in a crate. That's its home. That's where it's been all the time. It doesn't mean it's right that the dog should be in the crate um, in an inordinate amount of time, but they're probably comfortable with a crate. So the thing that would help them be more comfortable in your home would be a crate. And it doesn't mean they have to live in a crate 24-7. But if you have a dog that's already acclimated to a crate, you should be using that crate in your home and at least having an open crate for the dog that the dog can retire to if they're feeling stressed, if they're anxious, they can go relax in a crate. You yeah, know? allowing them some structure, especially during the transition of coming to a new of home. Course. And it, if it, things are getting out of hand and everything. You may need it for everything. some housebreaking issues. You never know. The thing about um, men with hats is funny because <laughs> you know, the, the dog will walk down the street, some guy with a hat will come up and the dog will start barking at him. And the people will think the dog has been hit. Something's happened with a man with, wearing a hat. And I can remember when we were doing the protection stuff, protection dogs, one of the evaluations for protection dogs, because it's an assessment of character. 
it, with protection dogs. Yes, you can teach many, many dogs to bite, um, and they love to bite. It doesn't mean they're well-suited to be a protection dog. So when they're evaluating the character of the dog, how courageous the dog, how do they handle to these fearful situations? And the majority of dogs will get scared when some, you know, figure with a big trench coat and a big hat comes looming up on them. Naturally, they're going to be like, what the hell is this? They're going to back up. They're going to bark. And it's part of an evaluation. You don't want to make anything worse, but you're just kind of testing different situations to see how this dog thinks, how they respond to these different situations, and what you need to work them through and get them stronger. Where they're weak, you want to make them stronger. So that being said, when the average dog walking down the street alerts, alert barks on a guy with a big hat that might be walking like an oaf, it's natural. It doesn't mean they were beaten by a guy with a big hat that walks like an oaf. It just means that they're a little disturbed by the way this guy is approaching them, you know? Well, and it's the same thing with mascots and everything else. Like some dogs are going to be like, oh, that's a little bit strange. I don't understand it. And to us, that's just an underlying like telltale sign that like, okay, we have to strengthen the dog's confidence and generalize like the dog's confidence in situations. It doesn't necessarily mean that there was some traumatic history with men with hats. And it certainly doesn't mean that you should start having everyone come over wearing a hat and trying to work through it. Because sometimes if you're trying to pinpoint this specific issue, especially one that you've made up in your head, you're going to create a problem where there really wasn't one before. So be very conscious of what you're telling yourself and what you're reading into with your dog's behavior. And Scott touched on it briefly before when we were talking about people that have had a bad experience with their previous dog and then bring that into the new dog. And that is a common thing that sometimes happens, whether it be aggression or extreme fear or, you know, the dog ran away all the time, that people are just constantly concerned that the new dog is going to have this issue and they want to ward that off. I want to talk about breed-specific stuff as well because, yes, you should totally do your research on breeds and ideally if you get a rescue, you kind of know what it's made up of a little bit so you can, you know, have some ideas of characteristics and traits and lifespan and health stuff and everything else. But if you get a dog and it's a certain breed and you've researched this breed and you wanted this breed and then other people start saying like, oh, well, you know, the Husky is like this and, you know, the Cream Goldens are like this and the Wheatons have a tendency to be like this. It doesn't matter what the rest of that breed population is. It matters what the dog in front of you is and the dog that you own. You know what I mean? And a lot of times people, this is exactly what happened with this situation with the vet evaluation that kind of had this podcast get sparked up. It was a normal, somewhat normal dog. I mean, it wasn't a huge to-do. Scott went and saw the dog. The owners owned this dog. But because there was a write-up by a professional, it was like, oh, my God, we must have a huge issue on our hands. And, you know, a lot of cream goldens, unfortunately, are anxious. Like, it is just more part of their gene pool and everything else. And we see a lot of that. They can run at a little bit of a different vibration. So let's not project that onto the current dog that we have in front of us. You know what I mean? It's so important, just like people, to treat each dog as an individual. And we're big on that with people too. Like Scott goes to an eval. It doesn't matter where they live. It doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter anything about the makeup of their home. They're a new individual client. And we have to be the same way with the dogs, right? Prejudging stuff, especially within our industry. You know, when you're a dog trainer for a lot of years, you see a lot of different dogs. You see a lot of different situations. You're going to want to throw some past stuff into a new situation. And it is so important to treat each um, client and each situation like a novel situation. Yeah. I mean, I had a client uh, this week that called a new person with a a pit mix bulldog, one of these big headed. um, Like American bully. Yeah. No, it wasn't an American bulldog, but it was uh, like a pit bull smaller, but with the giant, you know, the kind that they put the big chains on them and you can make videos with them and they look like they're killers, you know? And he said the dog, you know, he was beating around the bush. And then he finally said, well, this lady wanted her kid to see the dog. And she took her child, little, little, barely a toddler, 
and held the dog over the dog's head and the dog jumped up and like snapped at the kid. So he was really stressed that his dog had some aggression issues. And I said, it doesn't sound like a good situation, first of all, but yeah, I'll come on over. I see the dog. The dog is great. Dog is just a meatball, really nice social dog. And probably the dog was looking at that kid like a toy or something. They're dangling those little feet over the dog's head. And, um, and I told him about just how to be an advocate for your dog. Don't let people insist on, don't feel bad about saying, no, we're not going to be having your little infant dangling over my dog's head. And I told him, you know, just some basic, basic things I do. But, you know, I went there just to evaluate a dog. And, you know, I need to make sure that I'm trying to be as objective as possible too, because sometimes you get these, there are some breeds that they have histories of dog aggression. They have, they're really not good with young kids. And, you know, there's some dogs out there that are just, you know, you really got to manage them differently. And it's a lot more responsibility to own those specific types of dogs. And this dog was a great dog. And uh, it was really a nice, a nice evaluation. It was nice to work with the dog. He was happy. And I just said, it's just, you know, you have to be a buffer from the public. The public just wants what they want. They don't really care about what you say. Yeah, no, you know? and it's it's common. And the bully breeds, that's a great example of this breed-specific stuff. Like, they get a lot of flack online and everything, and every time we meet a new one, like, it, it's in, uh, its own individual, right? We're not projecting anything that any other bully breeds or any other pit bulls have done in the past. So be conscious of this. If you are someone that has a backstory, like your spouse or your children or, you know, your coworkers or your kids could just laugh about how many times they've heard you tell it, Try to think about stop telling yourself the same backstory with the dog and see how things change because we're just perpetuating the BS that caused the initial issue that we didn't like, that caused the trauma that we're still living in. Whatever it is, we're just living in the past. And living in the past, as anyone who does any self-help work will tell you, is not very good for your psyche, for your mental health, for your physical health, for anything else. So if you're doing that to your dog and you're putting the dog right back into this situation, every single new person you meet, every single new vet you you meet every single person situation, all these things, it's not helping the dog become the dog you want it to be. It's kind of holding the dog back in a sense. So be conscious of that. And we're not saying withhold information about human aggression or past bites or something else. Like, yes, there's still going to be, you know, specific things that can be told to new practitioners and everything, but that doesn't mean that you have to spend 20 minutes, you know, releasing all the specific details and living in that moment before you just move on and move forward. Well, just be conscious of it. Be conscious of when you find yourself repeating that same story again to a new person, that you're also submitting that story in your head and mm-hmm. you're just making everything. And it's almost like an excuse as to why that dog can't move forward sometimes. Yeah. It's like, well, this dog had this, 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 and this happen, And that's why the dog is this way. Well, if you just keep saying that, and that's why the dog is this way, that's why the dog is this way, that's how's the dog going to get better? Be, yeah. How's the dog going to get better with yeah. you as a handler? When if you gave that dog to someone that knew nothing, they'd just be out playing with the dog, doing some training, and they wouldn't have all that stuff that they would project onto that dog. They would just, they would take the dog at face value, and ideally, you know, and you'd be smart about with any dog, you know, having the dog off leash if they're not. If you don't have a recall, you don't take the dog off leash. You know, just basic, basic stuff, you know? So just be conscious of it, okay? Because we literally hear it all the time. And it's so funny. I mean, Scott will frequently be like, I haven't just heard it once. I've heard it like three times. And he's kind of like the break in the chain. Like, we need to stop telling the story. We need to stop creating this narrative around the dog. And we need to get where we want to be now and where we want to head. So be conscious of the story. If you don't have a backstory, we're proud of you. More power to you. But 
holding the dog in its past is not helping you or the dog or any situation you put the dog in. No, and and you should even take kind of evaluate yourself because the reality more often than not is that the person has more trauma, obviously, than the dog. The dogs, they do move forward pretty good. um, But the more you hang on to that stuff, the more you project it onto the dog, the more the dog thinks something must really be wrong. This person's crazy and I must be crazy too. Not healthy for any party. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us this Wednesday. We have so many exciting guests coming up this spring. We're heading into summer so super soon. And in the meantime, keep it quirky. (laughs) The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.